Hey, Matt, I think there might be one more gift for your mom right there. It hasn't been a normal year, so this Christmas, get her something extraordinary during the Lexus December to Remember sales event. Nathan, you didn't. With flexible financing and 0% APR, there's never been a better time to buy or lease a new Lexus. Merry Christmas, baby. Are you kidding me, Nathan? Did you seriously buy a car without asking me? Well, because for Christmas... This is a major purchase! Right, but it, it was a December to remember. It's a Lexus! We don't have the money for this, Nathan! We don't? No, we don't! Your father doesn't... Your father hasn't worked since last March. What? Yeah, COVID has hit a lot of people hard, and I'm no exception. Nathan, you got fired in March 2019. COVID had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Hey, pal, I guess your old man's busted. Mm. It's beginning to look a lot like savings, so get to your local Lexus dealer today. How much did you spend on this ridiculous car, Nathan? It was only $39.99 to its signing. Four grand. It's not that much, babe. And how much is the monthly payment? The what? Did you think this entire car cost $4,000? Uh-huh. There's a monthly payment. Yeah, but with the 0% APR, I think it's all good. APR? Do you mean APR? I'm pretty sure it's APR. Wow. Just wow. Hey, come on, it's Christmas. This is good. I did a good thing for us. Let's enjoy it. Dad, it's nine in the morning. So? It's not like I have work later. <laughs> come on. Hey. Hey, neighbor. You bought a Lexus? You come to me three weeks ago. Oh, Mike, help me. I need money. I can't buy Christmas gifts for my family. My wife doesn't respect me. I didn't say that. My wife's cheating on me with everyone. Mom, you are? I want to look cool in front of my son's girlfriend. Ew, Dad, is that why you pierced your ear? Uh, no, I've had this forever. I just need five grand to get back on my feet. And then you buy a Lexus? Yeah, well, it was beginning to look a lot like savings at my local Lexus dealer. I want my money back, man. Tomorrow. Hey, Kathy. What is that look? You know what? We're taking this car back to the dealership now. I better drive. Maybe we stop by Jenna's on the way over. Show us a cool car your dad got, huh? Shut up! Give the gift of Lexus and definitely talk it over first. There's a sparkle in the air. Silvery magic everywhere. It's the happy holiday sound of the Brit Summers Show. I wanna blow my brains out for Christmas. It's the most depressing time of year. People rushing through the malls, the traffic is absurd. Throwing money away, all stinking day. I'm as happy as a turd. I wanna blow my brains out for Christmas Have my body right here till next year Winter snow and mistletoe and Rudolph's big red nose They can shove all that stupid holiday crap Cause Christmas really blows Cause Christmas WWNN. Welcome everyone to the the last Brit Summer Show of 2020. Yeah, I'm gonna have a mellow show. This. Yeah, this is going to be a, a mellow holiday show. Oh, because I, I don't want to talk about the orange menace that's going to be coming down here, much to the chagrin of his neighbors. Uh, and I don't want to talk about what I call the rising of the inbred insurgents, which is uh, being led by uh, AM hate talkers across the country. Or another way I see these rednecks is uh, they put the infant in infantry. Because they're just a bunch of drunken babies. 
that uh, are uh, morbidly obese or uh, malnourished. Man, they have to have somebody to follow. Gotta follow somebody. And uh, they're taking their marching orders from the dark web uh, websites and and, uh, followed up by the eliminationist rhetoric by the hate talkers on AM. Something that the Democratic Party doesn't pay attention to. But Republicans are paying attention to it because they're coming after each other. In the latest case, and I'm not, I don't want to get political, but this is actually a Republican mayor of Dodge City, Kansas, Joyce Warshaw. She had to resign. She was forced to resign uh, with by threats to her life, her family, <laughs> threats of assassination. That's nothing to these animals, especially the hate talkers, which... Uh, that we don't have any more oversight uh, on the air, uh, except if you say tits. Uh, then they get very upset. But calling out people to assassinate leaders in this country, that, that's okay. And I hope the new FCC commissioner is aware of that, <clears throat> although I doubt it. Uh, yeah, she had to resign. And why were they coming after her? Why were they threatening her? Why her family, too? What were the reasons for these acts? Oh, she wanted everybody to wear a mask for safety from COVID. Yeah, that was her crime. Just like Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, that was her crime. She told everybody to stay quarantined, wear a mask, be safe. And for that, her life was threatened. And now this woman's life was threatened. She's a Republican. This Joyce Warshaw. So now, Dodge City in Kansas, uh, they're without a mayor. Oh, wait a minute. Dodge City? Marshall Dillon. Oh, that's right, he's dead. James Arnez is dead, too. Just like our regulatory laws for broadcasting, those are dead, too. So there's no more Marshall Dillon in uh, Dodge City, apparently. <laughs> just, can you just imagine? Hey, Mr. Dillon, Mr. Dillon, the mayor has resigned. I'll take care of it, Festus. <laughs> and lawlessness came back to Dodge City. If we get maybe just a portion of the broadcast infrastructure back, which I I still don't see that happening, but as I always say, if we get just a portion of that back, maybe they'll all crawl back under somebody else's trailer home. Because uh, that's what happened the last time, uh, the last few times this started. They just disappear, they just dissipate, they just go away and they realize that uh, they're uh, morons. They're wasting their time. Oh, they're going to go up against the uh, United States military uh, with their guns they bought out of somebody's trunk. And, and just because they practice uh, what they think are military skirmishes and military training uh, using somebody's PT cruiser. These are the idiots that uh, we got to worry about. I don't think so. But what we do have to worry about, and I've been talking about this every show, is broadcast infrastructure because that's where they're getting their marching orders, not just online. No. And what we're going to see next year is a little, (laughs) a a little more normalcy, a return back to the Democratic National Committee approved uh, corporate normalcy. (laughs) Just judging by his appointments, it's going to be uh, very uh, 
Well, let's just, I think I'll call it the uh, Democratic National Corporation. And that's fine. I'm not complaining about that. The only problem I will have is if they don't prosecute these bastards, if they don't take these people to task and then make it known that what they did is break the law and that you cannot do what they did. And you can all start with the, uh, 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 I didn't want to get political, but refusing a subpoena would be a good start. Everybody who did, they get handcuffs. Uh, and and none of this is going to have any impact without any kind of uh, communication or education, or and which we don't have any kind of a messaging system, and all of the uh, communications specialists, quote unquote, that they're appointing, uh, judges, uh, corporate get-alongs. They're they, the Democrats. <laughs> they don't want to know about uh, communications. They're not interested in messaging. So we're going to have that problem. But that being said, hey, I'm I'm glad that the uh, stench will be uh, rinsed clean from our government. I mean, you know what's going on. You see what's happening and what just might happen, but let's not worry about it for now. We'll wait for January 6th for the Republicans to make absolute fools of themselves. Do you think we're stupid? You think we're fools? Yes. What I want to do this show is, since this is going to be for the next couple weeks anyway, a if you can call it a holiday season i mean we're in the middle of a pandemic yeah the vaccine's here but we're in florida yeah and look what we got for a governor the governors have to set up a uh, task force or some kind of task panel to coordinate distribution throughout the state and most governors are <laughs> but not this guy no no not him in the meantime, you don't got the vaccine for this holiday season, so everybody's going to still be quarantined. The smart people will be quarantining still, much as they can. Uh, some will kind of be with their family. Some won't be able to be with their families. I'm, I'm going to make an effort to be with mine because my mother doesn't have much time left, and uh, that's not going to keep me away from her. So I'm going to take every precaution to be with her over the holidays. Uh, she won't, she won't know it, but I will be there. So that leaves most of us, uh, uh, just, uh, back to binge watching over the holidays. I have been doing that in, in some cases. Uh, I don't know if you can consider watching movies, binge watching, but, uh, there are, there are some new ones out there. Uh, a couple of them I already spoke about on the show. Uh, if you like, and it's not a movie, it's a six part miniseries that I recommend binging. It's worth it. <laughs> it, it. It's laughable at the top. I mean, it's about chess. I mean, it's like chess? Really? Chess? Queen's Gambit. But if you haven't seen it by now, there's something to do over the holidays. Uh, another movie, and, and I haven't seen some of the ones I wanted to talk about, but if you're a uh, movie buff, rhymes with duff, I duff, uh, you might like the Herman Mankiewicz movie. Oh, who's that? Yeah, they made a movie about Herman Mankiewicz. And he was a uh, screenwriter, <clears throat> scriptwriter, in both uh, the classic era and, uh, and some TV. If you like movies and you're aware of movies such as Citizen Kane, Pride of the Yankees, uh, you'll thank Mank. That is on Netflix, and that's about Herman Mankiewicz. And if you're still not familiar with the name, on TCM you'll see his grandson, Ben Mankiewicz. Uh, he hosts uh, the films on TCM and at one time was an anchor man right down here, right here in sunny South Florida uh, on uh, WAMI, Whammy in Miami, for about 10 minutes. And then he got out of here and got a career for himself. There is a portrayal of somebody that I was really impressed with, Ben Hecht. Ben Hecht! He was a script-writing machine. There, there's not much about him in the movie, but there's somebody actually portraying Ben Hecht. He wrote the original Scarface. Not the hello to my little friend. But the original one with Paul Muni and uh, a thousand other things. The guy was just, uh, he wrote uh, scripts for old-time radio all the way up to television, up until he died. He was just, he was just I don't know, two, three scripts every ten minutes. That was amazing. And there's not much said about him, like I said, but there he was, Ben Hecht. And as someone who admires writers, I mean, he's just somebody who a lot of people aren't aware of him. There should be a movie about Ben Hecht. 
But Mank, the movie itself, it was well done, well acted, well written. It was very well directed. It was just, I was impressed with Mank. So you'll thank Mank when you see Mank. But what I want to do with this show, the last show of 2020, is get more musically intensive because there's a couple of documentaries out there that you may want to watch. And one of them was really good. I mean, just superb. The other one was... Uh, uh, and I'm going to be playing a lot, of, a lot of the music from there, but I'm also going to be playing uh, some of the uh, holiday comedy bits that you know and love or haven't heard yet and may learn to hate it. <laughs> but if you got HBO Go or HBO Max or whatever it is nowadays, they got 30 different names for it. Um, look up uh, the Bee Gees titled How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? It was better than I expected. It was really in-depth. Uh, they covered a lot of area. Uh, Barry Gibb is all through it. Uh, and there's a lot I didn't know about the brothers because I, I, mean, I was a kid when that was going on. Um, but I'm glad they covered their, their, they had like two waves. The Bee Gees started out right on the uh, British invasion days. I mean, when they hit the charts, they were around for several years before that, knocking around as a kid's band. Uh, actually, you can find a video of them singing country western tunes on some Australian show. Uh, they had their share of grizzled hard knocks musical performing. Uh, they worked as any great band, and this is what's missing because there's no need for it anymore. But when you see documentaries of any band, any of the like the iconic type band rock bands, all of them, every single one of those musicians worked in clubs 18 hours a day, every single one of them. And that's how they perfected the art. After a while, it's second nature. The Beatles worked in the caverns for 18-hour shifts. They slept there before their next shift began. You play that long and that hard on any instrument, you're going to be untouchable. That's called passion, determination, and it's most of all, paying your dues. And that just doesn't exist anymore. No, why? You got the software here. Why get a whiskey bottle thrown in your face? It can all be done for you. <laughs> it connected with me in a web, and I spoke about this. My late friend George Rodriguez, we used to have lunches at the Stadium Diner in North Miami uh, every week, every Tuesday. Uh, or maybe more than that, depends. Uh, but it was a good diner. Surprisingly, it was actually a good diner in North Miami. And uh, <laughs> one of the patrons there often was uh, Morris Gibb. Mo Gibb. They never called him Mo, though. But uh, he used to eat there all the time, and it didn't end up well for him. Uh, he was the first to die of something. I mean, uh, Robin Gibb died of uh, pancreatic cancer, but Morris died of, of, of a, a hamburger. It got stuck in his... It twisted his kishkis, and then he, they sent him to Mount Sinai Hospital and with Dr. Vinnie Boombats, who butchered him on the table. He died of a heart attack on the table with impacted bowels. That coming up. Uh, everybody was like, what? He was the healthy one. He was the big guy. He was like, really? He died from a, the, a hamburger getting lodged in his kishkis? And, and he dies on the operating table? Uh, but anyway, I was happy to see that they, they mentioned. Because, you know, when they went all disco in the late 70s, uh, there was no mention of their 60s success. Because, you know, people have short memories. But... They had one, maybe two, maybe three hits on the charts at any given time. And the only problem I really have, and it's really not the Bee Gees' fault, when you had a Drake format rock and roll station back then, and you had a hit song, you had a playlist of maybe ten songs. So if they had two hits on, on the uh, top ten, you heard them over and over and over and ad nauseum ad nauseum or maybe a top 20 it doesn't matter you got it even if it's one of those situations and i know everybody can relate to this if a song comes out that you like it's great the first fifty thousand listens after a while it becomes torture but that's not to say the song was bad it i called it murder by radio 
<laughs> back then. The, these were great songs they put out, but because they were overplayed, uh, I guess just got worn out. And uh, after a while, some of their songs I got so sick of hearing, I completely erased it from memory. And I was reminded when I watched this uh, documentary of the great songs that they did. And, and hearing it again, I'm like, you know, that's really a great tune. And they were well-respected in the business and uh, by and large, uh, pretty nice guys. But I didn't know they split up in, in late 69. This I did not know. I just thought maybe they burned out on writing. Like so many artists do. You have like a, a big speed of hits and then you can't follow up on any of them. No, that wasn't it. Their, their egos got big and they split up. And there's a funny scene in there where you, Robin goes off to do a solo act and it's a disaster. But they left a couple of things out. Now, here's what I'm going to do for you this show. If you haven't seen the documentary already, this isn't going to spoil it for you because it's not there. Uh, they just, I don't know whether it was for time because they played the songs. So Barry Gibb obviously owns the rights to all the Bee Gees songs and he, and he okayed it for the documentary. So you hear plenty of their stuff. It's cut and edited for time, obviously. But there were some songs that just completely omitted. Oh, actually, two. One was a smash hit, one was a minor hit. But they got a lot of airplay. And like I was saying, they split up in late 69. They got back together like a year later. And uh, this is what they kept. It was a broken heart and then this one. But it's not in a documentary, so here it is now. <laughs> Heavily edited, I might add, to avoid copyright infringement. And I don't want to infringe on the copyrights of uh, Barry Gibb. He's had a rough time. If your heart doesn't go out to the guy watching this, you're not human. I mean, it's just... <laughs> but yeah, this one it was mentioned, but it wasn't in there. And I'm like, really? Monster hit, monster hit. I don't know how they could have just left it out of there. Maybe it was for time. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Good morning, Mr. Sunshine. You brighten up my day. Yes. Come sit beside me in your way. Uh-huh. so happy that uh, they pointed out they, they, because they have the stigma now of being a disco band well yeah <laughs> but for 10 years before that uh, they were um, right up there with the Beatles the Stones and it, I mean there was anything nothing close to disco that just happened and they explained a lot of uh, the um, jive talking like when that came out in 75 that was not a disco song. That was more of a funk riff. You'll see. That you'll, it wasn't a disco song, but the timing of it was just eventful because that's when the, the disco started. And so when they did the, the soundtrack to the film, uh, the Saturday Night Fever, having produced music, I found it interesting that they did the very, I don't know if it was first, but I don't see why it wouldn't be. They did the first drum loop. Because their their drummer's mother got sick and he couldn't show up for that session, so they they took a previous track that he did in another song and they just uh, took that loop, and that became uh, Saturday Night Fever. You should see the work they went through just to achieve this effect, as opposed to these days when it's just a, an add-on effect on your software. And pretty much, I mean, if you're into rap, looping, <laughs> that's all it is. It's one loop. 
sampling one track over and over and over and over again or sampling somebody else's track which they do often over and over and over again but you can see how they originally had to do it it was a uh, quite a task and now it's uh, totally eliminated thanks to software but there was one point during that documentary that i just burst out laughing and <laughs> Because when they were talking about Saturday Night Fever with the uh, soundtrack hits and all that that they had on there, part of that soundtrack was this here. It just comes, it just hits you. That is the biggest pile of horse crap. It wasn't the Bee Gees. It was Walter Murphy. Get a little tired of that crap, I can tell you right now. Now, I know you've all heard this before. It's like, oh no, not that song. And then when I started laughing, because this is Walter Murphy. That was him. And I just started laughing because this is also Walter Murphy. Now, that's not all he did. He did, uh, I think he won some awards for the Buffy soundtrack. I mean, he didn't do a theme, but he did some Buffy the Vampire Slayer show. He, he has a, an enormous catalog. Uh, very talented guy. And then when the Steve Dahl, let's blow up, the, the disco sucks, we're going to blow up the records in uh, Comiskey Stadium. Okay. That was the result of a rivalry between the rock charts and the disco charts. And, and they're right. They make a very good valid point in this thing that the disco really got uh, over-commercialized. Uh, corporate. That was the first time corporate killed. Uh, no, 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 no. Corporate killed the twist because the twist was huge for like three years. And they and corporate took over and then everything was twist. And that's when the game Twister came out. It was Twister this and Twist that. And then it contributed to the death of disco by over-commercializing it. And then it became just a real joke. And a lot of the disco songs were. And they pointed out with Rick D's Disco Duck. And I had, this, I had to hold back a little bit. Wait a minute. He was my West Coast boss. <laughs> he helped buy my house, too. But... <laughs> It's it's mentioned that the the, uh, the the disco thing. First of all, there was a lot of great rock bands in the late seventies, Foreigner being among them. And people don't know that the, the rivalry that there was between the disco listeners and the rock listeners. So that culminated with the Comiskey Part thing with Steve Dahl, <clears throat> and of course he capitalized on it. And uh, as a radio personalities did back then, uh, he was huge in on the loop in Chicago. Back when radio was an industry, back when radio meant something, before the 96 Telecom Act, when people were still employed, they had this uh, guy in there who, who was, as a kid, was working in the stadium, and uh, he mentioned that, well, well, the deal was that you, you bring a disco record, and it's 98 cents to get into the stadium, if you bring a disco record. And this guy said, well, they were bringing in R&B, they were bringing in blues, they were bringing in like... Uh, black artists that had nothing to do with disco and he attributed it to uh, uh, a, a racist thing or in some regards a, a homophobic thing but but here's the the way it was the the, the fever pitch back then wasn't uh, i'm not discounting it maybe partially yeah he was right but overall it was just an adolescent rivalry between rock and disco and I think the kids back then, it's not like they poured through records to make sure it was a disco thing. I think they just pulled a record out and then just brought it in to, to get in for 98 cents. And he has a point. I'm certain there were those who did. But basically, it was adolescent fun is what it was. It was a kind of a fun rivalry they were having back then. 
Uh, and uh, unfortunately, the Bee Gees were riding that wave. <laughs> but that was the beginning of the end of disco. It really killed disco. What really screwed it deep down into the ground and finished it off for good were, were the punk rock bands in the late 70s, the CBGB stuff, that when they polished up their songs for airplay, uh, that was it. That was the end of disco. Then you had Blondie, The Police, Talking Heads. I mean, it was rock. Rock was back. It was raw rock. Of course, polished up for uh, on airplay. But that was it. it disco became a, a distant memory at that point. Pearl Harbor and the Explosions, The Beat, Elvis Costello. Then MTV came along. Ah, disco was finished after that. <laughs> But uh, they, 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 they bounced back. So they hit like three eras of pop music. First was the rock charts. Then they went to the disco thing. And then they went to pop music, uh, writing for other uh, artists. But it's, a, it's just an amazing story. It's an amazing career. And they did an a excellent job covering it. But like this one, they had, you had to wait till the very last uh, two seconds of the movie after the credits roll then they run this one it's only words and words are all I to take your heart away What word did you say? Yeah, well, those are the words I have to say about that documentary. I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a fun watch, and it's sad. Uh, because, well, like I said earlier, Morris Gibb, he didn't have to die. He was a victim of bad doctors right here in prestigious South Florida and Mount Sinai. I went down to Mount Sinai Hospital. Oi! I mean, George and I never met him. We were never we were there in the middle of the day. He's probably there uh, way after we ever ate there. But the staff there, they uh, they sure like talking about it. They'll talk your ear off about Morris Gibb eating at the stadium diner. And by the way, it's still there. Uh, I guess they survived the uh, pandemic somehow. Uh, but yeah, I checked. <laughs> still down there i'll never forget when we left the radio station we had to do a u-turn by a, a building that used to be a racks burger joint and was turned and it was turned into a adult bookstore and you made your u-turn around there and then you went to the stadium diner but yeah they had the picture up there with him uh, thanks to everybody at the stadium diner with the uh, morris skib and <laughs> uh in, in fact there's probably still people there we'll talk your ear off about it now and that's uh, where he, uh, where it, I don't know what happened, but that's where then they took him right there. And then he dies on the operating table. It was stupid. It was so stupid. Everybody was stunned. So naturally, and as I said, it was 2003. I was really doing well in my career. So I had to do a bit about it somehow. And uh, I came up with this. Because it was such a stupid way to die. I was standing there one day, not thinking I would die. From being able to make do-do I should never eat McDonald's A Big Mac must be trapped inside my bowels ah, How can you die from infected farts? Who let these butcher doctors in? Now my heart stopped You schmucks at Sinai Tore my intestines out I guess I should have known what to expect Living in Miami With the kind of service you get in this town 
I would pack and leave tomorrow If I didn't eat that crap I swallowed <laughs> Why can't you lend me some chocolates? Why can't you losers get it right? My bowels were blocked Inside my hiney Can't make my turds go out One other thing I want to mention about that documentary is that um, the the other song they left out was during their 69-70 breakup, a guy named Steve Kipner, a songwriter who knew Morris Gibb, they got together and they uh, put a record out and it sounded like the Bee Gees, but it wasn't, otherwise known as Tintin, and this is the song, a pretty big hit, 1970. And no, it wasn't all of the Bee Gees. It was Steve Kipner and Morris Gibb. Toast and marmalade for tea Sailing ships upon the sea Aren't lovelier than you All the games I see you play Yeah, Morris Gibb produced that song, and uh, <laughs> pretty much everything they had their hands on wound up sounding like the Bee Gees. So there you have my review of Bee Gees' How Do You Mend a Broken Heart, which I highly recommend viewing over this holiday uh, break or season or whatever it is. And uh, actually, it is fun for the entire family because there's nothing dirty in there or anything like that. It's a very nice documentary, and it's a loving tribute to them. Uh, speaking of loving tributes, I have another one I'm going to talk about in just a moment because I have to wrap the first half of this show. And uh, to all my terrestrial listeners, you might get a chance to hear this show in its entirety uh, if you stay tuned to the schedule of WWNN. And if not, just uh, hang out with me now and uh, I'll take you to the other side. And to uh, all of my listeners on the ground, Let's all be happy that this year is done. Now, I guess the best we could do is uh, keep our legs crossed that the next one gets better. But stay tuned to the Brit Summer Show, boys and girls, because I'm going to come back with more music from Boca, Brittany. Music. More music. This is the WWN Network. WWNN. Feeding South Florida. It's Florida's leading domestic hunger relief organization, the largest and most efficient food bank serving Palm Beach, Broward, Miami-Dade, and Monroe counties. Feeding South Florida has distributed nearly 51 million meals to over 700,000 individuals. And since our COVID-19 response began, Feeding South Florida has hosted over 250 drive through food distributions. If you're able to, please donate today at feedingsouthflorida.org. That's feedingsouthflorida.org. Silvery magic everywhere It's the happy holiday sound of The Brit Summers Show I heard there is no Christmas in the silly Middle East No No trees, no snow, no Santa Claus They have different religious beliefs They believe in Muhammad and not in our holiday And so every Simber I go to the Middle East and say Hey there, Mr. Muslim, Merry fucking Christmas. Put down that book, the Koran, and here's some holiday wishes. Okay. In case you haven't noticed, it's Jesus' birthday. So get off your heathen Muslim ass and fucking celebrate. There is no holiday season in India, I've heard. They don't hang up their stockings, and that is just absurd. They never read a Christmas story. They don't know what Rudolph is about. And that is why in December I'll go to India and shout. Hey there, Mr. Hinduist. Merry f***ing Christmas. Drink eggnog and eat some beef and pass it to the missus. In case you haven't noticed, it's Jesus' birthday. So get off your heathen Hindu ass and f***ing celebrate. Now I heard that in Japan everyone just lives in sin. They pray to several gods and put needles in their skin. On December 25th, all they do is eat a cake 
And that is why I go to Japan and walk around and die. Tyler, Mr. Shintoist, Merry f***ing Christmas. God is gonna kick your ass, you infidelic pagan scum. Alright. In case you haven't noticed, there's festive things to do. So let's all rejoice for Jesus. Merry f***ing Christmas to you. On Christmas Day, I travel around the world and say, Now is Christmas bonus and all you atheists too! Merry f***ing Christmas to you! Welcome back to the Brit Summer Show on iTunes, Skyhawk Radio, FYI Nation, TuneIn, Stitcher, Patreon, the SoFloatChannel.com, TheBritSummerShow.com, which takes you directly to my SoundCloud archives, which are free to download, to listen to whenever you choose, thanks to the gifts provided to me by my most valued listeners. And next show I do in a couple of weeks, I'm going to do the uh, uh, go through the SoundCloud stats again, which I call my ratings, <laughs> because they're hilarious. You wouldn't believe who listens to this show. Uh, where they're listening anyway. So uh, thank you for the year-long holiday gift of keeping this show going, and especially the uh, greatest gifts of all from the primary underwriter of this show, Ernie. Hello, I gotta do is thank you. Happy holidays to you, Ernie, and thank you for your support. And to everybody else that's been supporting this show, even if you can't contribute... I, I hate begging to begin with, but even if you can't contribute and you uh, share the show online, that's great. That That's greatly appreciated. I, you know, I, I feel so icky and dirty having to ask for money to do this, but what choice have you got? Anyway, uh, getting back to binge watching on uh, the holidays. Uh, this is nice, isn't it? I get to stay off of politics for a little bit. The other uh, documentary I watched is on Amazon, and that is The Ventures. Now, I, I was watching the Bee Gees thing, and then I, it came to my attention about this documentary about The Ventures. I went, wow, this, this is going to be great. I really enjoyed the Bee Gees thing, and I was really looking forward to a movie about The Ventures, an instrumental band that uh, rarely did they sing. It was primarily an instrumental band that sold over 250 albums uh, over 60 years, still selling albums. I mean, they've passed on. There's the new versions of them. Uh, But they are like, uh, if you play guitar, and like most of the famous guitarists we know of today, they grew up listening to The Ventures. Because it was, at first, it was like an easy pattern. It was easy to learn. Yours truly started that way, although I really don't play anymore. But yeah, I had some Ventures albums because uh, they were pretty, they were fun. You could learn how to play the guitar and then play along with them pretty good. In fact, coming up, there is a, a hidden track in one of their albums that I had that was not a charter. They only had really three hit songs over all that time but nobody cared it was the ventures and uh, and people bought their albums anyway but I, I did a bit of one of their hidden tracks that no one's heard uh, i had to do it because you're not going to find a karaoke of that uh but well I'll, I'll get to that i just wanted to say that as much as i look forward to the ventures documentary and i appreciate that his daughter stacy wilson uh made this loving tribute to her father don wilson not not Jack Benny's announcer, <clears throat> Don Wilson, <laughs> Bob Bogle, Mel Taylor, and Noki Edwards. But remember what I was saying last week about when an artist sells the rights to their music, like Stevie Nicks, Bob Dylan sold the rights to their music. Once those rights are gone, they're gone. And it seems to me uh, that somewhere along the line, they must have sold the rights to their music because... This is a rock rock and roll documentary about a rock and roll instrumental band where you don't hear any of the music. Uh, there's extensive talk about it. They deconstruct the songs, but you won't hear the songs. I was so disappointed and had they at least put the songs in it, it would have been okay. But for some reason, 
you'll hear like maybe a few seconds, a few legal seconds of one of their songs, and then it'll go to uh, what's called a library track, sound-alike stuff. It's not them. Uh, and I was saddened by that because evidently they lost all the rights to their music. And this this documentary, although it seems like it was made over a long period of time because a couple of those guys have been dead. I guess Don's still alive. But they had live concert footage with no sound. It's kind of hard to watch a rock documentary with no sound. I mean, no music sound. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it because I was looking forward to it. Uh, they, I mean, Anybody who's into rock and roll, anybody who's played an instrument, you know the ventures. Now, if you know their stuff and you're familiar with what they did, then it's not a problem. Go ahead and watch it. You'll enjoy it. They talk about a lot of interesting things, but you won't hear one song. And then the problem I had with the ventures was, and it's okay. It's okay. I think everybody in the business was in agreement that, yeah, it's okay. Because essentially they were a cover band that right down to their very first hit. Uh, they only had one original song and it, they didn't write it, but it was, it was not a cover. And that was the theme to Hawaii Five-0. It was a huge hit. But that was the only song they did that was not a cover of someone else's song. Now, sometimes a song can be redone and then you own it because it sounds so much better than the original. In some cases that happens, not often. But everybody in the... Well, everybody who likes uh, rock and roll, that uh, they just give the Ventures credit for everything that somebody else did. And that's okay, because they did it well. It's kind of, it's like a, a given. But if you ask anybody on the street, what is the most famous drum song ever in the world? Wipeout. You can play it on your desk. I could play it on my uh, studio thing. And you ask anybody who did Wipeout, they're going to say, oh, yeah, 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 the Ventures, the Ventures. No, it was the Safaris. But the Ventures did cover it, and they got credit for the song. <laughs> Uh, so many guitar bands back then, they had their own hits and, uh, the credit was given. And then I'm not saying the Ventures took the credit. It was just the way people are. It's easy. Oh, oh, it was the Ventures. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. It was Dick Dale. <laughs> they didn't even, wait, I mentioned Dick Dale, who just recently passed away. Uh, and Dick Dale and the Deltones, by the way, had their albums too. Uh, if you play guitar, I, I recommend that too. But everything's given credit to the Ventures. And they, and they were like, they were an okay bunch of guys, so it's like, okay, give them the credit. Nobody cared. I, I don't either. But being a purist, I like to know who actually did the song. And they did mention that Walk Don't Run was a cover, a third cover, by the way. It was originally recorded by Johnny Smith, a jazz guitar. It was a jazz tune. Uh, like, here you are. This is the 1954 version of Walk Don't Run by Johnny Smith. And you won't hear it in the documentary. So here I am filling in the blanks for you again if you do watch it. Yeah, Chet Atkins covered this song in 1957, but it sounds just like this. So there's no point in me playing it, but this is how the original song went. It was a jazz number. and Bogle did uh, when they were kids actually they just uh, shot it full of steroids and uh, made it a rocker 
you won't hear this on there either. They don't even play this one. Their, their biggest hit. Uh, but you can see it's nothing like the original, and they own it. They own it now. Well, they don't own the rights, evidently. And I did some research on that, and I can't find it. I'm only assuming, I, I suspect, that maybe they sold the rights to their music. How, how can you do a music document, documentary with no music in it? I, I don't get it. But th there it is. Uh, and, and also, this song was also kind of redone a thousand other times by a thousand different artists. And one that comes to mind is this one. Now I'm going to play it. <laughs> I mixed it up a little bit. You can see the rhythm pattern's different, but yeah, same keys, same chords, A to G, down to E. But you can see the influence that the Ventures had on a lot of bands. And they had so many albums that even the original artists are like, well, we can't compete with that. But in 1960, when, they, when this song was a hit, in England, yeah, before the Beatles, in England, there was a band called The Shadows, also a guitar band. Now, I just think it's kind of like a, because there was no internet back then. There's no way these guys could have known it. But it, it, I guess it was like a, a mirrored world because they had a surf sound too. Although it wasn't called a surf sound till years later. But it was a still similar with the Fender Reverb box. And then it, later on, Fender built it into the amp. It was called a Fender Twin Reverb. But the, England had the Shadows. Same ear, same reverb, same style of guitar playing, and only this was the, the British Ventures. Didn't mention them at all in the documentary. No mention of the Shadows. Who, by the way, was the backup band for Cliff Richards. And I, I, I'm not trashing the documentary. I mean, I, I feel bad. One, I'm glad it was made. Two, Don Wilson was apparently a very sweet guy. It's nice that they refreshed the memories of the public and introduced this band to a new generation. Unfortunately, they don't know what they sound like. So I, I did my part anyway. Now, as I was saying earlier, there was a lot of tracks that the Ventures did that were not hits, and a couple of them. I did as comedy bits. Now, I'm going to have to explain to my audience that uh, back on WQAM, we had a... <laughs> I mean, because it's dated and nobody knows who these people are, except for the Neelys out there, the Neil Rogers fans. I'm going to play a Mo bit, only because it was a Ventures song. But I reconstructed it myself because I didn't. there was no guitars in it, and you'll find out why. I don't know, how do I put this together succinctly and fast? Uh, it was a sports station. There was a old, cranky old man that was a, a sports announcer that had the morning show there, and at times the afternoon show, depending on how they flipped the schedule around. And uh, he would talk this way and go do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do for, for like uh, two hours. And he had a sidekick, Steve Goldstein. <laughs> oh, had a very high voice. We would talk like that, a terrible voice. So nobody liked them. We, we had a lot of fun with it. I did a, a series for years of Mobits, even after his contract was up and he was long gone. So this is just one of them. And uh, even if it doesn't make sense, eh, it still sounds funny. And I'm going to follow that up with a Ventures song called that they called The Twomp. Now, 
when the <laughs> the twist was big, they cashed in on all these different genres of music and or whatever trended at the time. And the twist was big, so they they came up with a dance called the Twomp. It's a cross between the stomp and the twist. <clears throat> it was the Twomp, but it's not like you're going to. I dare you right now to find a karaoke of the Twomp. And they weren't singers, so it was really easy to do as far as singing. Uh, And I called it The Squat. Squat, 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 squat. Squat, 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 squat. Her bladder pops, and then she's got to do the squat. Ah. On the road when there's nowhere to stop, no way that they can aim it in one spot. So when they gotta go, they gotta squat Behind a bush or a vacant lot gets a little peace and quiet over here. Ah, hiya, Mo. <laughs> what are you doing here in Honolulu? When I heard you were here, I flew right over and dressed up like Connie Stevens. That's for you. Well, yeah, you're forcing me to do this. Huh? Hey, how about a nice Hawaiian punch? Sure. <laughs> From Boca, Brittany. Music. More music. Yeah, oh, how I miss those days when I was making a salary. Oh, ho, ho. All gone. All gone. Thank you, Bill Clinton. Who are you blaming him for? <laughs> That's easy. I'm not the only one. I'm on the back of the line of the 100,000 other people that lost their careers. Anyway, that's for another show. Or pretty much all of them, if you've been listening. <laughs> I uh, I guess, I hope you enjoyed what I did today. Uh, a nice little diversion away from the politics of usual. And... When I get back, I'm certain I'm going to have some stories to share with you. Uh, and or we'll have to talk more about what's going on. But for now, I strongly suggest that we all sit back, relax, and just uh, glide out of this pit of gloom and doom and misery and punishment and glide out of this year so that uh, we can get back to the status of uh, business as usual. But I'll take it. So, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, good yantif, if you want if, Aziz and Pupik, and whatever it is. I'll see you back here in a couple of weeks. Till then, this is Britt Summer saying... Bye.